Hey everybody, talkingbook.pub is a non-profit audiobook publisher of independent literature. We are located in Asheville, North Carolina, and because we are a non-profit, uh, donations and help from people like you who love these books and love these recordings really helps a lot. So if you want to get involved, donate to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash talkingbook, or go to our website, talkingbook.pub, and read about our mission, send us an email, give us a call, whatever you want to do. But enjoy the episode. Thank you. Hey everybody, uh, Chris Hartram here of Talking Book. I am sitting in the basement of the Talking Book house right now. I just spoke with Alex Higley. He is uh, a really nice guy. He was walking around Chicago. We talked about his book, Old Open, um, which is about this guy, Russ, this older guy named Russ, who kind of goes on this strange um, existential road trip uh, trying to find... Um, information about this neighbor who gives talks on ufos and strange phenomenon uh but it is a really cool book we just recorded it it's out now from talkingbook.pub um and it was narrated by the very badass jim d johnston so uh get a hold of that book but anyway um yeah we're just uh doing our thing so uh just uh listen to this conversation later Hey, is this Alex? Yeah, this is Alex. Hey, Alex, how's it going? This is Chris. Hey, Chris, how are you? Pretty good, man. Thanks uh, Thanks for talking to me such uh, short notice. No, no, this is great. Yeah, worked out well. Cool. What's uh, What's going on with you today? Where are you? So I, uh, my wife and I live in Evanston, Illinois, which is just directly north of Chicago. I don't know, are you familiar with Chicago? Not really. I was actually just telling a, a buddy of mine that um, that's one city that I've never really spent time in, and I regret it. Yeah, no, it's I love it here. I didn't grow up here, but it's definitely home. So, yeah, we live. So Evanston is the first city town directly north of Chicago. We share, you know, like we share the CTA with Chicago. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so it's just the you know Northwestern is here, so it's a a university town. It's a little bit of you know like a university town just directly north of Chicago. It's a little kind of a best of both worlds thing, but yeah, beautiful day today. So just walking around, gotta enjoy it when you live in the Midwest. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So you're walking around as we speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice, very cool. Yeah, I've never been up around there, and I was uh, I was just. Um, we're just finishing up Sam Pink's new book. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and he's a Chicago boy too, I think. Uh, right. Yeah. Half yeah. Yeah. Set there. Uh, seems like a good city. Obviously, there are some fine writers walking around the town. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're uh, we're lucky to have a bunch of talented people around here. Uh, Lindsay Hunter's up here. Stuart Dybeck lives in Chicago. Christine Sneed. It's endless. It's endless. There's lots. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So it's a, it's a pretty you'd say like healthy lit scene there. There's a lot going on. Definitely. I mean, I think the definitely the the core of it is the indie bookstores here are 
fantastic. Um, even up in Evanston, we have some great ones. Bookends and Beginnings is really great, but in Chicago, Volumes and the Bookseller and Women and Women and Children First and tons of good ones. So yeah, absolutely, they're uh, they're always open for readings for smaller indie writers and bigger writers too. I think there's a real good mix here and an openness for sure um, to the community. It doesn't feel like cordoned off or. I don't know. I think it's a, a very supportive writing town for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I need to get up there sooner or later. Yeah, it's funny. Um, just because of I was so uh, involved with Old Open for a while, I just and I didn't know a lot about you personally up until you know right, started right. working on that. I just imagined you lived over there, you know, just like right. in that terrain. So I, I, you were synonymous with that place in my head. So it's interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Uh, my wife, we lived in, my wife and I lived in Arizona for 10 months. Um, and that's when I wrote the book. And so I think, yeah, that totally makes sense to me why you would think I was, I was there, but yeah, I think different, it's funny, different people I've emailed with and stuff. I've thought the same thing, but yeah, no, I've been, I've been in Chicago or now Evanston since I was 18. I'm 31 now. So this is really home. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Thirty-one, solid age. I'm uh, I'll be thirty-five this month, so uh, slightly elder. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Go, going through old open and obviously reading and listening to it, like all that did was make me want to go, um, you know, out to Arizona and out to all those places, just because like oh, good. It's it's so it's such a strange like weird. I mean. And it, it paired so well, obviously, with the story, just like that strange existential, like ennui feeling of that terrain is so cool. Yeah, it's, God, it, Arizona is a, it's, I mean, saying Arizona is like saying the United States in a lot right, of ways. I'm you know? sure. It's so diverse and so uh, just fraught with all sorts of different tensions. I mean, right now, even with the, I don't know if you've seen any of the educational protests that are going on right now, but yeah, I have, down there, yeah. but just, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the, the part of Arizona that I was writing out about uh, early in the book with Russ is, you know, North of Phoenix, it's kind of a sterile, but also not really built up part of, uh, of Arizona. But yeah, I mean, you go up to Flagstaff and there's, you know, it, Flagstaff looks more like Colorado in parts, um, and it's a little bit more progressive, maybe. Tucson, you know, is south, way south, a uh, very progressive university town. It's just, there's 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 all sorts of different things happening there. But, um, yeah, and, and, you know, it, it gets a bad rap, I think, maybe nationally for people that haven't been there sometimes. And, but it's uh, parts are beautiful. And what is uh, the reputation? Um, like, what would you say is yeah, off the top of my head? Like, I can think of, you know, the, um, you know, uh, like ASU and like and stuff like that. But sure. I'm trying to think, what is the average rep? Would you say of Arizona? Uh, I I think probably people think about problems at the border. Huh. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't even have thought of that, mm -hmm. but that makes sense. But I'm dumb as well, so like that that. No, that no, makes sense no. Now. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I think people probably, I'm guessing that maybe a stereotypical, incorrect perception from someone who hasn't been there is that the whole state is conservative, 
Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. You know, something like that. I, I don't know. I grew up in, I grew up in Colorado, so I have kind of a weird relationship with Arizona because in a lot of ways, I think Colorado is very similar, except it has like the reverse reputation. I think like a lot of times people will think all of Colorado is, you know, super progressive and right. super liberal. But the reality is a lot of Colorado is like you know, Colorado Springs where you're dealing with make churches and highways and that's it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That makes I don't sense. Know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing terribly here, but yeah. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, that kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but we're, we're like a North Carolina operation and I don't know what the perception is of people outside of North Carolina. Cause I only know like my own, but I assume people are like due to like uh, political figures and stuff like that of North Carolina. I would assume people are like, it's the South, it's the Bible belt, conservative right. kind of backwards. But I only ever am in, uh, like Asheville in the mountains where talking book is, or, you know, in Raleigh, uh, in the triangle where all the universities are. So in my head, it's like this super progressive area of the Southeast. So God, I, I hope so. I hope so for you and your family. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it definitely, I don't think we would still be here if it wasn't, but I know what you mean about right. like, you know, the, the different perceptions of places and the, the, the bum raps and stuff. Um, for sure. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know. Like even in Chicago, I feel like a lot of times you'll deal with this on a neighborhood to neighborhood basis or like even, so me, for instance, we live in Evanston and I have to always qualify like, well, people say like, oh, well, we're in the city. Like, well, no, actually we're in Evanston, just directly north. It's just having to constantly like uh, feel like you have to own up to where you are. <laughs> right. You're like, I live in Chicago and they're like, fess up. Right. Where, where the hell do you really live, Alex? And you're exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. It's like, it's, it's funny. I don't know. I, I, I think as you get older, that stuff becomes funnier and funnier, but sure. I don't know for sure. I, I have a buddy who just moved to, is it, is Raleigh the correct pronunciation? I'll yeah. Say little, oh, yeah. Raleigh. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. in the triangle. It's yeah, yeah. like Raleigh, okay. Chapel Hill, Durham. There's a lot of colleges and a lot of, a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. He, uh, him and his wife just moved out there and he was showing me housing prices and I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my God, maybe we'll move to North Carolina. This looks amazing. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina is a great state. Um, I'm not from yeah. here originally, but we moved here um, off and on. Uh, we've we've been here now three years or so. But uh, the um, Raleigh's a great place because there's just so many jobs and so much industry booming. Where we live in the mountains, where Talking Book is, it's this very beautiful location right in the mountains, very small city, lots of culture. But because of that, it's small and population's exploding. And there's a shit ton, oh, really? of, yeah, shit ton of people sh uh, moving here and, you know, most of the jobs are like hotels, restaurants, and, 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 you know, so that, that's tough, but the, the triangle is, is pretty badass in terms of like jobs versus housing prices. Now we're talking about economics. We're just boring. I know. Boring I'm sorry. I slipped death. into, yeah, yeah. No, I love it. I love talking about that <laughs> shit, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, get yourself to, uh, to North Carolina and hang out. We just had, um, a couple other writers we hang out with like, uh, Bud Smith and Michael Bible. Oh yeah. Devin Kelly and a few people come to our house here and we did a, a reading and stuff, which was really cool. So we, uh, got to get more, uh, more of that going on. So you need to down, sure. down the road, you and your wife hitch a ride down to NC. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe when we have a, we got a baby on the way, but oh, you do? We maybe just, when we got, you got a baby? Is yeah, that your, your first one? Uh, first one. Yeah. June 28th, uh, oh. the expected arrival. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. That's I don't great. Know. I just That's had, I just had all my, of my mind is there. 
Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure. Another little boy, right? Yeah, I just had my second little boy, yeah. so I got a three-year-old and a three-month-old, uh, and uh, I That's mean, awesome. I don't have to tell you because you, I've probably heard it a thousand times because you're expecting, but G G whiz, quite the time. You're gonna have fun. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm very excited and very terrified. So. Get all get all your uh, get all your writing. Get as much writing done as possible now. Yeah, that's what everybody tells me. And so when I squander days, I'm just like, God, Jesus Christ, what am I doing? <laughs> well, but, speaking, of, speaking yeah. of writing, tell me about uh, how this book came about with Russ and Riley and, you know, Terrell. And then, you know, I guess you said you were there with your wife. Um, what was, uh, sure. what, how, how did this book come about in a nutshell? Yeah, so I, I met a woman um, just by chance, and she, I, just asking her about what was going on with her that weekend, what, how you doing, whatever. And, uh, she said that she was in, so this was when we were living in Phoenix. She said that she was in town for a UFO convention. And I said, what does that mean? And she said that she was, she kind of slowly told me, she was like, well, you know, I was a, I was a, witness to a ufo event that's pretty famous here in town and i said oh okay well which one and i didn't know anything about the phoenix lights or anything but i i essentially met a woman who had a very similar experience to the experience that tarot has in the book um and i was just so um fascinated by how nonchalant she was about the fact that this was a part of her everyday life i mean it was basically like she was explaining to me her job down at the bank or something. Just, <laughs> right. And and I loved that about her because she had a uh, a coyness to her, but also like after I was after I showed that I was interested, she was very you know willing to talk to me and but she also didn't force anything on me, which I thought was interesting. It's not like she had a kind of like religious zealot quality to her. She was just speaking to me, and uh, so anyway, I went home and I was thinking about that and I just uh, I ended up writing a short story called Rhymes with Feral that um was just basically the first chapter of the book Rhymes Rhymes with Feral you said? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And uh so just about you know thinking about what would it be like to live across from a character like that and then find and and know them for a while without knowing this information about them that uh you know that they this UFO witness and career speaker on UFO events was such a huge part of their life, but they didn't really broadcast it to the general public without being prodded a little bit. I thought I just thought that was interesting, and uh, so then that that story was in my first book, and then it never was published by a journal or anything. And then after I don't know several months, and after my first book Cardinal had been out for a while. Uh, electric literature got in touch and republished that story in the recommended reading series. And oh, at that yeah. time I had already, yeah, that was cool. And, but that time I had already been working on writing old open kind of, kind of stringing it out and, uh, into a novel. And I don't know, I think that gave me a little bit of a boost just like, okay, maybe this is a story that I should keep going with. And so I did. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's awesome. I mean obviously we really like the book and th there's something so gratifying about um 
you know, kind of a, as, as somebody would describe it or maybe has, I think, is uh, like the an existential road novel, you know, in a way. Yeah, yeah. There's something so gratifying about reading it. Um, and then the Thanks. idea, the idea of it being recorded too, I thought, and you know, you were, you were so awesome about, you know, being excited about, you know, getting old open recorded. Um, we really, Oh my God, I was really excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you were. I mean, that was, that was, we really appreciate that a lot because you know, what we're doing is, you know, kind of weird, but we think it's, it's cool and important. So if, if I always feel like if there's one guy who's like, this is cool, I'm like, yes. Okay. Somebody thinks it's cool. Oh, for sure. You know, that's cool. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I was going to say uh, recording it as well with, uh, with Jim Johnson, like the, um, the quality of it, having it read to you with your writing style, it's, it's such a, uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who just listened to it, who liked it a lot. And we were talking about, it's such a, um, when I first listened to it after it was done, I was like, damn, like the dense quality, the complicated quality of your prose really shines through i thought like in the audio and it just made me think because you know I, I write it as well a little bit and i just thought like fuck i can't write like this it's so fucking <laughs> oh, dense uh, thank I, I, you yeah i mean i was thinking that i was like you know when you like read somebody's shit and you like get pissed off and you throw the book not because it's not good just because you're like damn it like that's good no absolutely i know that i know that feeling i, I feel that way all the time yeah. i mean i i'm embarrassed about how threatened i am by other books oh yeah uh, i'm threatened all the time you know, every day yeah yeah i think that just means that we're doing it right because it means you care i mean i think i don't even think of it so much as like actually oppositional or like actually like oh fuck that guy i think of it more like you know what it's okay to have those like instincts because just means you care about what you're doing. Right. That's how bad you want to make good stuff. Is yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it's, Absolutely. It, it's a cool reaction. Yeah. yeah, you're right. But yeah, it was a su super interesting book. And, uh, um, thank you. Yeah. Thank we, you. we really, yeah. we really liked it a lot. Yeah. So when did you, I know this was, it came out a little while ago. When was it originally written? Right. Around what time was it written? Uh, okay. I think probably around two years ago now. Yeah, probably around two years ago, and it was published maybe seven or eight months ago. I'm guessing. I I don't know exactly. I, I I don't know. I don't have the dates in my head. Unfortunately, I have no mind for numbers at all. I uh, yeah. So I don't I don't even remember. Right. Probably seven or eight months ago, it initially came out. But, sure. Um, yeah. But oh, one thing I wanted to say. I mean, when you were when you were just talking about having Jim uh, recorded that. One thing that was so exciting to me about it, having it recorded by you guys and then having like a real pro, especially like an, it was fun hearing like an older man read the words that I had written for an older character because I don't know, when I've done readings and stuff, I think I probably look about my age, probably, right. you know, people probably look at me and they're like, okay, yeah, thirties, whatever. And then the characters, you know, 55 years old, which not a super old guy, but it's a big difference between a 30 year old different, man. Yeah. Different stage so, of life. Different. Yeah. I know what you mean. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So just like to hear the words from a man who's like more age appropriate was, I don't know. I, it was exciting to me because it's just an opportunity I otherwise would not have had. And I don't know. I, so yeah, I really appreciated even getting the opportunity to, to have that happen because of you guys. It was just, it was exciting. I don't know. And I think with, Sometimes with first person stuff, 
I just like hearing it out loud, period. I mean, me too. It's just, I, yeah, I just, it's just so like, you know, some of that, if you hear some of that, like Barry Hannah stuff or William Maxwell stuff or whatever being read out loud, some of these stories that you've read a million times and it's just like, Oh my God, when you finally hear it read, it's like, I don't know. It's just exciting. It's, it seems so direct. I feel like sometimes. Oh yeah, man, totally. I mean, yeah, especially man, even with, even just with, for example, like, um, you know, I said Bud Smith did a reading here the other day and uh, I had read, yeah. his, I had read his story, Tiger Blood, a couple of times that had come out a long time ago. I love on, that one. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, but <clears throat> some people I was talking to afterwards with him, it's like, man, I read that story three times and until he read it, cause it's like first person until he read it out loud in his voice, it's like, it was 10 times funnier. You know, it was oh, totally. so much Absolutely. more alive uh, in that way. So, yeah. you know, I read, I probably read more print books for sure than I do listen to books, but there are a lot that, you know, there, it's just so, uh, the work is so served by having somebody read it to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think also sometimes with first person stuff, it helps to kind of make it less writerly. It makes it more like, I don't know. I think sometimes if, if it's just a first person, whether it be a novel or a story, no matter how it reads on the page, if it's spoken to you, I feel like you can imagine I don't know. Some of the stuff that maybe looks a little uh, extra contrived on the page sure. or something can slip in a little bit easier. It sounds maybe a little bit more like someone just leaning in next to you and speaking it. I don't know. I, yeah, no, I, I agree. Just like the quality of that. Yeah, especially with a, as you said, a pro like um, like uh, the narrator Jim who recorded this because he yeah. was uh, he made it sound so natural. It didn't. You know, you know, obviously when we're writing first person stuff, we're trying to make it sound like it wasn't written. Right. So it was such somebody sure. talking and it, it just sounded so conversational, like in his, his thoughts. Um, right. You know, yeah, it was, super, it was a good, definitely solid project um, <clears throat> for people listening to this. Um, you know, it's, you, you gotta, you gotta listen to this book. It's, it's very, there's, has a cinematic quality to it. It's fun. It's this weird kind of riddle. It's. Yeah, go get it. Grab it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, totally. Grab it up. But uh, yeah, I was I was saying this uh, to somebody else a few books ago. But um, every once in a while, you know, we've talked about an audio book kind of being this weird middle zone between a manuscript and maybe like another form of adaptation, like cinema. And uh, yeah. you know, it's interesting because like the the character of Ross or really kind of comes to life with an actor. And with a book like this, I think just the style of the story and the narrative, I can so see this being a movie too. Um, God, yeah, go go tell someone with a bunch of money. That, <laughs> yeah, I know, that right? Would be, yeah. that, would, that would be fantastic, yeah. 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 It has that I vibe to it. You can see it unfolding so perfectly, like as a movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, I would I would love that. I would love that. But, <laughs> You're you like, Newsflash, I, I would love that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would love that as a guy who has a kid coming in two months, and you know that would be great, sure. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, but it, I I hadn't actually thought about you know how true it is that audiobooks are adaptations until I was working with you because you know listening to Jim record it, I was like the whole time I, I'm actually thinking a lot of times like. I wonder if he likes the book. I wonder what he is thinking. I wonder like what his 
just and occasionally you'll hear a line. You're like, oh wow, he has he has an understanding of this that I wasn't even capable of having. Right. What you know, just like it's amazing how dense the level of interpretation can get with stuff. And you know, also when you wrote it, you're in your own head about it. I'm sure, but uh, it was it was interesting to like finally learn like oh yeah shit that, this really is an adaptation more than anything i mean obviously even though he's reading the words word for word it's still it's still an adaptation yeah it's, that was a huge revelation to me yeah yeah that's interesting i try to whenever i'm like harping on how cool audiobooks actually are for literature like a total dork uh, to people that's one of the things i bring up is i'm like you know sure audiobooks are like really amazing for the scene impaired and people with dyslexia are people who are like you know, don't have time to read all the time, but there's this other element where they really are their own art form. Uh, it's totally, it's super different reading, especially for the author, but even anybody just reading the book and hearing an actor perform it from his perspective, what he thinks this character is like. I mean, it's totally different. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in some way, I recently had the experience of starting a book and then just because of commute issues and stuff, not being able to like, get to reading it as much as I wanted to. So I bought the audiobook sure. and would like fill in gaps with the audiobook and then pick up reading. It was, I don't know if you read, uh, in the distance, this Hernan Diaz book. No, I've uh, heard so much good stuff about it though. It's, it's fucking fantastic. Sure, it's, it's as good as everybody says it is. It's, it's excellent. I need to get anyway. It. So yeah, I just, I, I didn't want to stop reading it. So I was listening to it and then picking up on the page and one thing that I was struck by is the stuff that looked so bizarre on the page, or like, especially like maybe lists. There was a there was a series of like lists or like a long, long itemization of things in one of the chapters. And listening to it, it didn't strike. It, it was it was interesting, but it didn't like strike me as much. But then when I flipped back, it was it was like almost jarring. I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And not that I didn't think it was beautiful hearing it. It's just it it kind of slipped under the radar a little bit more in a way that's also you know great but just yeah no, <clears throat> that's a good point yeah i mean that i was bringing up uh, the other day just how some books i've read in print and uh, you know I, i've you know books i've done both with reading and listening it's funny how some are like listening's the way to go or other ones it's like print is the way to go or some could be combinations you know it's it's interesting yeah yeah i do the same thing i like that doubling up so, so you can get max, yeah, it, maximum reading time. <laughs> maximum reading, yeah, exactly. Especially with the kiddos. Yeah, yeah, I bet for you especially, you need you need those tactics to get stuff done. You have to have tactics. You have to have strategies. Um, it's like being uh, it's like being addicted to drugs, kind of, where you kind of need to have a bunch of different ways to do them. Uh, you know, cause yeah. You just never wow, know. I love that. Yeah, you got to shoot up in the bathroom. It just, you know, you got to have it in your sure. in your shoe heel or whatever but uh, but yeah what do you got uh what do you got going on now what's what's coming out next with you so I'm, I'm working on uh i'm working on a new novel um probably about halfway through the draft and i'm excited about it for right now for right now today uh we'll see how i feel in 10 minutes but <laughs> uh then hopefully you know, if something happens with that, that'd be great. If not, I'm going to go back to writing stories, I think. I think I, I miss writing stories a lot. I don't know. I, I really, I've had fun working on longer stuff, but I don't know. I, I love short stories 
most, I think. Yeah, that's that's cool. What the the manuscript you're working on now? Is there any hints about uh, any hints about what it, what it's about or anything like that, or it's all uh, top secret? Uh, I mean, it's not top. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm just <laughs> this is not to not say anything. Right, you're just figuring it out. Yeah. No, I respect. That. I don't know. I respect. I that. don't know if you. I don't know if you feel it this way as, as you've gotten older too, but like a lot of a lot as you going as a writer, like a lot of the superstition and habits and stuff fall away. But at the same time, a lot of things like that have gotten much, much like more deeply ingrained for me. I think I'm way more sensitive about like showing people drafts or talking about ideas. I, I, I think I'm becoming more and more protective of the time, maybe just because you have less time as you get older and busier and more work and everything. No, but, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, I notice, I don't, I'm not sure about the superstition part, but for me, I notice as I've gotten older, it, like when I was younger, if there was a day where maybe I didn't write or a week I didn't write, I would be like, yeah, mm-hmm. I probably need to write soon. But now right. I'm like 35, like I didn't write yesterday and I just get like, um, I, re- you know, really beat myself up over it. Even if, even if I'm just like, you know, probably was going to sit there and stare at the screen like a knucklehead uh, you know, sure. just the fact that I didn't do that, like being really hard on myself as that gets worse as I get older. So I can see the other part too. Yeah. Being true. For sure. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I don't know. It's Time tough. is finite. Unfortunately. It is. It <laughs> For is. us writing. Yeah. It really is. Um, well, I guess after this, we're going to, um, play an excerpt, you know, from the, from the book. Uh, and so oh, cool. do you have any, uh, any uh, any favorite spots you think that would be the cool to have people here? Uh, well, you know what? Maybe the I think it's the third chapter when uh, when Russ goes over to Lucia and Barnes' house for the first time. I like that one. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. Yeah, just because it's a little bit like funnier, lighter, but also like tells you a little bit about where everything's headed. I think. Okay. All right. Yeah. You yeah. got it. You got it, buddy. You got it. Well, cool. I guess, cool. uh, good luck with, um, with the, the new baby coming and uh, wait, did you say, <laughs> did you say, you know, the, uh, the sex? I can't remember. Did you say little girl, having a little girl, little yeah. girl. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Good luck, man. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, keep me yeah, posted. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need, I'm going to like talking book. Maybe we're going to need to see, um, it's in the contract. I don't know if you noticed this, but we'll need to see some, uh, baby photos right after it's, yeah. it's in the fine print. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, yeah. Perfect. Good luck to you and your wife. And, uh, yeah, I was serious about that. If you guys ever figure out a way to get down here, let's hang. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It was great talking to you, Chris. I appreciate everything. Yeah, man. You too, Alex. We'll talk more soon. I'm sure. All right, buddy. Thanks Thank so you. much. All right. Talk yep. to you soon, Chris. Later, bud. All right, there we are. That's uh, me and old Alex uh, hanging out, talking about the book Old Open. And now I want you to listen to a little snippet uh, by um, Jim D. Johnston, uh, the narrator. And take it away. I call and get Barnes, and he says, Come. He pauses. Come for dinner. I tell him I'll be there at seven if that works. I'll get the first of the sunset this way. He lets out a long whistle and hangs up, which lets me know Lucia was in the room with him while he was on the phone, 
<laughs> Barnes is a lovable show-off who likes nothing more than achieving an eye-roll from his wife. Their marriage is full of wonderfully strange boundaries and frankness, some of which I can relate to, but most of which is sweetly bizarre to witness. That is, if you are able to believe it. The Umbers were the couple we hung out with as a couple, a generation older than us, in all ways. Lucia opens the door. Why are you sweating so hard? You didn't walk, did you? You're in trouble? I feel as if she's addressing Lassie as I stand soaked. I resist barking. She's a frazzled, tall woman who seems to have been frayed by raising wild boys, which is what happened. Both of her sons are in their mid-forties and have professions related to dirt bikes. Mirror walls and art fill Lucia and Barnes' home. All the art has acquisition dates beginning and ending in the final half of the 1980s. That Duran Duran record with the woman's face on it seems to be the dowsing object the Umbers use to choose pieces for their home. At home, their cooking stands in opposition to what is regularly served at Umbers. Tonight, dinner is a spinach salad tossed with avocado, baked tempeh that's been allowed to cool slightly, and lemon-squeezed overtop. With the salad, we'll be drinking frozen mango margaritas. My allotment increases to unlimited when with others. This was not always the case. Frozen mangoes, ice, tequila, agave nectar. I've had this exact meal at the Umbers' home before. I don't know if their comfort in repetition has to do with age or because they are a certain type of restaurant people, but I say comfort because they never apologize for serving the same meal to me. Well, not that they should. Oh, they should serve whatever they want in their own home. But I love that they are comfortable enough to not ask me what I'd like. Barnes is intently making up the salads in the kitchen, elbows out, and says only, Russ, in greeting. Lucia nods at me to follow her out of the white kitchen and onto the back patio. Their sliding glass door works luxuriously well. An oiled, brushy sound. I grasp the door's handle and slide the door back and forth a few times. Lucia claps into the gloaming, toward the far corners of her backyard, the golf corner and the cacti corner. I'm guessing to spurn any wildlife. We have our margaritas in chilled glass beer steins with large handles. We sit at an outdoor glass table in cushioned springy chairs capable of being leaned back in. We settle in to the heat. Lucia's shoulder-length frizzled gray hair appears shocked by humidity, but is not because there's none tonight. He might expect that she's a potter, a painter, a woman eagerly cataloging desert flora, but she's none of those things. She's a businesswoman, and a good one at that. If you combined all my mental strength and real-world effort with that of Barnes, we couldn't hold a candle to what this woman's capable of, and daily doing. She's general manager, front of house, her husband's lodestar. And one day a week she cooks at the restaurant, Thursday, or as it's become known to the regulars, Hippie Thursday. I said the Umber's cooking at home stands apart from what's served at the restaurant, but this isn't true on Thursdays, when the two fairs are in distant unison. Thursdays at the restaurant, the menu's limited, avocados featuring largely. The plates come out prettier, more fussed over, and sugars removed from the restaurant in its most egregious forms. Ketchup, coffee sweeteners on the table, jellies, jams, all are lined up neatly in a blank corner of the kitchen, waiting for their reintroduction on Friday morning. 
I've asked Lucia, why not convert the restaurant's menu completely? And she told me it wouldn't be fair to the boomers, to the Sallys, Ricks, Berts, Nancys, Esters. When they die off, it's fair, she'd said. And Barnes added, seeing the rare gap in his wife's thinking, When we die off, sweetie, when we die off. The last of the sun is holding on the horizon, the condensed day melting down. It's still over 90 degrees outside, but it's nice to sit with a view of the low, shady mountains. Their backyard has a centrally located water feature, water spilling from flat tan rocks into a pool I could have leaped over if I was younger and didn't have a numb left leg. The sound of the water stands in for music. Though they're only around ten years older than me, listening to a fountain seems like the preference of ancients. There's a putting green in the far right corner of the yard, which is bordered by a pink brick wall identical to the one in my own backyard. Lucia takes a long slug of her margarita, the orange slush glacially shifting down the glass, and closes her eyes. I look over again and she's darting her tongue in and out of her mouth, eyes still closed, lizard style. I try doing the same, but imagine I look instead like a weary dog. But it's not an impression I can hold. Dogs don't have words to reveal their small minds as we do. I would like to be reduced, without worrying anyone, to an old dog's regal, honest grunting. Barnes brings the first salad out to Lucia, and I start to stand to go help him with the rest, but he clasps me on the shoulder and commands, Stay! This demonstrative hosting is totally unnecessary and hasn't really been present on prior nights with the Umbers. Barnes wants prep and cleanup to be his overt burden. Barnes is clear blue-eyed, with uniform, white bristles of hair all over his face and head. I've heard him say, many times, One setting on my buzzer. Easy. I liked him the moment I met him because I knew the shorthand he was providing for who he was, and I sensed it to be genuine. In Chicago, I knew a cheerful, crooked landlord with the same bearing, and on the street in Rogers Park, Roscoe Village, uptown, I passed fifteen Barneses daily. He's a type, by choice. But if you knew him, you'd be glad he's the sort of man he is. Work? Lucia asks. A predatory bird silhouette passes evenly overhead. She inhales sharply through her nose, unrelated to the bird, and I chortle at the intensity of her breathing. <laughs> this woman, and she's always been like this, seems as if she's discovering her body and its minute abilities for the first time. If my wife were here and able to read my thoughts, I... Scratch that. If my wife was here, she'd add, and she's a self-hating hypochondriac. She'd add this thought. Tell me this thought by a slight tuck of her lips, raise of the chin, in my direction. Well, I'm taking some time off, I say, about work. I try to inhale as Lucia just has, but can't achieve the sharp, near whistle. Instead, I sound like a man warding off tears. Oh? Lucia says. Eh, a few weeks. I let my clients know yesterday. Referred them to a guy I worked with years ago, in case they need help in my absence. Yeah, my list is shrinking. He could use the work. Kids, champagne taste, beer budget kind of guy. Oh, but nice. I hate the way I'm talking about this man. I look over and see Lucia nodding, listening. I say, I hate the way I'm talking about this guy. He was the only person I could think of with the time and ability to potentially take on some extra work that I was still in contact with. Eh, his kids have nothing to do with anything. 
Lucia sets down her margarita on the scalloped glass table in front of us and puts up both her hands toward me, palms out, meaning stop. I stop. I hear the gurgle of their rubbly water fountain, the soft thrumming punch of insects. She says, I, I don't care, I don't care. Say whatever you want. The point is you're here with us and we're glad you are. We can, we can talk about flashlights. We can talk about Carson Palmer, Jake Plummer. We can talk shit about this guy you worked with. Don't fucking care. I tell Lucia, okay, okay, and almost expect her to scruff me behind the ear like a puppy. <laughs> That's how intense her grin is. Barnes comes out with the last two salads, hands one to me, sits down with his own, and begins eating. We all eat loudly, forks chiming, gulp our margaritas. The salad bowls are enormous and change how I eat completely. I'm not used to having to take such a steep approach into a bowl, and as a result I'm really paying attention to the food. I covet this heavy bowl. He's taking off work, Lucia says. Well, what for? asks Barnes. Yeah, I want to go see if I can track down Terrell Presley. What, Terrell? Across the street, Terrell? says Lucia. Why does that take a month? Barnes asks. Well, I don't know where he is at the moment, or where he's going to be. Barnes sits up from his hunched position over his bowl and settles back into his seat. He's giving me a look that projects how glad he is to not live alone. Lucia says, hold up, walks into the house. She comes back out onto the patio holding the blender full of margaritas. She pours us all more. Okay, so what's happening? She asks. Now be clear. I cough in a way that sounds practiced because it was practiced on my way over. Well, you guys know about Terrell and the Phoenix Lights? How he took those pictures we've all seen? The ones that the paper ran? Barnes says, oh, the triangle, sure. Lucia adds, yeah, we saw same as him, wedge of lights. From here? Yeah, right here, Lucia says. She traces a triangle in the sky above her with an index finger. <laughs> you never told me that. <laughs> Aliens don't pay my rent, Lucia says. Aliens ain't on my mind. I consider not saying anything further. Speaking out loud, in detail, what has driven me to preemptively take time off of work is embarrassing. Barnes says something to Lucia about where their own pictures of the Phoenix Lights are, and Lucia seems to remember that Terrell purchased their photographs of the event from them, that he went door-to-door -door asking, that he offered cash. They're talking quietly to one another about this, I, I can hear pieces, and they know I can, but the talk's not inclusive. I'm watching as night sky emerges. If there were constellations to look at, if it were dark enough, I wouldn't know their names. I watch the sky dumbly, but not without interest. I feel that what they can jointly remember about their pictures will determine whether or not they'll raise their voices, repeat what they've just said to each other, and bring me back into the fold. I've drifted. I watch a brown lizard scurry between my feet towards the sculpted rock water feature. The gurgle calls him. Barnes and Lucia have stopped talking. I apologize for no reason. I say, I, I didn't know of any of that about Terrell until recently. We talked occasionally, and I helped out with his renters, but I, I didn't know he was giving talks. Oh, talks, sure, we went. We went in 2000. <laughs> it was a great alien year, Barnes says. I mean, I'm sure it's evolved by now, the talk, new information, incorporation of new technology. 
But we've heard the basic Phoenix Lights talk, yes. It's very inspiring. When he bought our pictures, he also asked for snapshots of Lucia and me. That was in the talk, too. I don't know what to make of this information. I pushed my margarita away from me on the table. Well, do you think that Terrell thought I knew he was the Phoenix Lights guy? Lucia's smiling. She's taking her time. <laughs> yeah, this is a little like asking if your neighbor Charles Barkley believed you knew he played basketball. Barkley wouldn't have thought about what you knew or didn't know. <laughs> or neighbor Charles Manson murdered, Barnes added, rushing his words. The Phoenix Lights and Terrell. That's who he is, Lucia said. I feel sick to my stomach. What else am I not seeing? When Lucia and Barnes went through some trouble, Lucia swept with a server she'd hired, a beautiful fat woman from New Mexico with long, fake nails. They announced it to my wife and me during a raucous happy hour. Out with it, Lucia said at the time, goading herself to confess, which she then did. These are not people that keep in information. Following her infidelity came the rededication to cooking, the elimination of most processed foods from their home. Barnes demanded Dr. Pepper stays, the introduction of Hippie Thursdays. What I'm saying is that if Lucia thought I didn't know about Terrell, I would have been told. Her understanding, Barnes's understanding, which is the trickle-down of Lucia's understanding, was that I knew and didn't care. I see now with certainty this was also Terrell's understanding, and why on earth would they think anything else? I see now I've mistaken my cause for wanting to speak to Terrell. My problem is needing scaffolding outside of myself. And really, I, I don't care any more to speak to him. I want to be spoken to, to hear his talk, understand who he is more clearly. Well, I, thought I, I thought I needed justification for what I was planning to do, a reason, but I don't. What my problem needs is a city to travel to, a car to transport it, possibly a woman. My problem needs a meeting with its source. It needs an adventure. It needs to get out of the goddamn heat. Boom. Old Open. Alex Higley. Jim D. Johnston. Tortoise Books. It's out now in print. You can get it at a bunch of places. Amazon. Tortoise. Get an audio from us. Talkingbook.pub. Um... What else is up? Uh, talking book, nonprofit, 501c3. How do we do this? How do we keep recording cool books in the indie lit scene? Uh, people will give us donations. And, um, you know, sometimes we do paper routes. We'll bartend. Um, Dave, our audio engineer, will turn tricks. Um, you know, lots of stuff. Lots of fun stuff uh, that we'll do just to make it happen. So hit us up, talkingbook.pub. Find some books by Scott McClanahan, Darcy Wilder. Um, L. Nash, Anais Nin, Clarice Lispector, uh, Alex Higley, Noah Cicero. Mm, what else is coming out? Sam Pink's new book, The Garbage Times, White Ibis from Soft Skull Press. Plenty of cool stuff is happening here. Uh, but I can hear Steely Dan playing upstairs. Uh, a lot of Steely Dan going on recently. So I'm going to go upstairs and have a margarita. And I, uh, I love all of you. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you, friends. Goodbye, friends. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy 
chasing sister squares I was lit before I Door was passing over, and the window. Was 